0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to an encore episode of Inside Julia's Kitchen. I'm Todd Shulkin. To celebrate the return of Max's Julia scripted series starring Sarah Lancashire as Julia and David Hyde Pierce as Paul, we're sharing past episodes taking you behind the scenes. We thought you might enjoy listening to them again or for the first time in advance of season 2's launch, only on Max on November 16th. Better yet, if you didn't see season 1, it's the perfect time to catch up so you're ready to enjoy season 2. Without further ado, Here's my conversation with Julia Scripted Series executive producer, Kimberly Carver. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome television producer, Kimberly Carver. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Kimberly about how the Julia scripted series and the Julia Child Challenge came to be. And we'll hear Kimberly's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Today's show is all about how Julia is our inspiration. Something crystal clear at the foundation is how inspiring Julia's example continues to be, if not more so than when she was still alive. I think there are two parts to it. First, it's Julia's personal example. Despite not meeting expectations for women of her time and station, she achieved great things by pursuing her passion and staying true to herself. The message that it's never too late and you are enough just as you are is endlessly appealing. Second, what Julia was advocating has proved to be even more prescient today. Shocker, when a pandemic hits, knowing how to cook is critical, even in the age of internet and Uber Eats. Climate change? Turns out it's about more than fossil fuel. Commercial farming is a huge contributor. Who was saying a massively industrialized food system is not a good direction some 50 years ago? Julia, of course. Moreover, in a time of expanding global crises, as Sarah Lancashire, who portrays Julia in the eponymous HBO Max series, said, Julia is a tonic. Her spirit and story bring us joy. Someone who is inspired by all of these things is television producer and literary manager Kimberly Carver. Kimberly is the force behind both new Julia Child-related shows. She's an executive producer of HBO Max's Julia, and an executive producer of the Food Network's The Julia Child Challenge. If you want to trace the trail back to the beginning of these two projects, you'll end up at her desk. Kimberly has worked as a literary agent and manager in Hollywood for most of her professional career. I can vouch for this firsthand, as we used to share an office as literary agents back in the day at Innovative Artists, where we first collaborated selling television shows. After more than a decade as a literary agent, Kimberly moved to Three Arts Entertainment, becoming a literary manager. At Three Arts, she continued to represent writers, directors, and producers, among them the multi-hyphenate Janet Mock, co-creator of the FX series Pose, for both scripted and unscripted television. It was during her tenure at Three Arts that the Julia-related television shows germinated. She recently joined Anonymous Content, one of the most prestigious management companies in Hollywood. A graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, Kimberly was born in Vietnam and raised on the East Coast of the US before starting her Hollywood training at the renowned Creative Artists Agency. She joins us today to tell us all about how these new Julia Child related television projects came to be. Welcome to the podcast, Kimberly.
2: Thank you, Todd. So,
1: I will start by kind of framing this a little bit for the audience who might not be, you know, quite as involved in television as you are that getting one, let alone two television series on air, is a feat in and of itself. But two about Julia Child, at the same time, is basically against every odds you could figure out. So, in fact, I remember telling the trustees who thought, well, should we have more than one television show about Julia and the Hopper? And I was like, oh, well, it'll never happen. You don't need to worry about it. Oops. Oops. So, Kimberly, where did your belief that Julia needed to be back on TV, where did that come from?
2: Well, I would say that this happened a long time ago. Uh, You and I remember having a conversation, I would say, almost five years ago when we talked about just, you know, Julia and why couldn't we do a show about her? And I think it really came from just, you know, I love the movie, Julie and Julia. I love all movies related to food. And I was thinking about this, you know, and I, I really wanted to, I, I, I felt that the story of Julie and Julia ended where the best part was coming, was really that second chapter of her life as a television personality and how she was so not only influential, but she left an indelible mark on TV and really changed how we approach, you know, not just cooking, eating, but just our lifestyle. And I think that was really interesting to me. And I never saw a series. I know there were a lot of movies, but I never saw a series about food and kind of someone like her, who I believe, you know, was the beginning of Food Network and how that all came about. She was this iconic American woman who really pioneered how you know and who inspired so many home cooks. And that's really what made me think about trying to figure out how to do a show, not just about cooking and about how the French chef came together, but really kind of at that time period. And I know our, our writer, Daniel talked about it and really how that influence has impacted us all in the world of culinary, but way beyond that. So that's really kind of my inspiration.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought about it before. So there was on one side, you just love the food world and what Julia represents in it. But then as a television person, if you will, you, you were really interested in that intersection, because it it was relatable to you in that respect.
2: It was very relatable. I am I love food. I'm a foodie. I I watch so many food shows. I also think that food is so essential in everything we do. And I never saw that in a television series. And that's what I wanted to try to do with her as the center, but then there were so many other themes that you could talk about during that time period. So that was really interesting to me to try to do that as a television series. And then on the food competition show, uh, back four or five years ago, I wasn't even thinking about the competition show, but at the time with COVID, and by the time we got the HBO series going, I thought, you know, why not promote the series to audiences that may not understand or know about Julia Child or may not have HBO, but why try, you know, let's try to do a food competition show that really will bring back who this woman, how, how, you know, influential she was. So that's really what inspired me was to hope, you know, to, to promote the HBO series by doing a food competition show.
1: And so do you think it was kind of because I was going to ask you if you actually had both ideas in the back of your head originally, but it sounds like it's more particularly because the pandemic created this extended timeline for the scripted show. It gave you more time to kind of think about Julia's place and what audience knew. And that's when the kind of idea for the script, the unscripted, the cooking competition like bubbled up for you.
2: Yes, because during the pandemic, everyone was at home, everyone was cooking. I was thinking about, well, once the show gets going, how do we draw in an audience who might want to watch her? you know? But then my other thought was, well, let's just figure out a way to bring back Julia on the Food Network because she was never on the Food Network. They have all these incredible chefs and cooks and personalities there. But that was really where I thought, let me just go to Food Network and see if there are could be a possibility for them to do a show about the most iconic food personality that they probably would want on their network. And that's really kind of what inspired me to do that. And luckily, it just happened <laughs> where they loved the idea. And then as you know, Todd, I went to you, talked about it. And then of course, you know, with the help of Blake Davis and the purveyors of pop producers, um, we were able to put this all together. And It's, you know, it's unbelievable that then Discovery and Warners uh, merged together (laughs) and now they're one network and we have two shows, Uh, you know, and and I know it's never happened before. But I am so lucky that, you know, this happened for for both of us and just for everybody to be able to kind of see Julia more on the fictional side with the scripted show, but then truly see how incredible she was on screen you know, with the cooking competition show.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And I think it's amazing to see it reflected in the really positive media reaction to it. And that most people just picked up on like, Julia's having a moment. I think the real story is you were just cataloging is it's not like anyone sat around and said, we need these two things to come <laughs> at this time. It was like, you know, five years in the planning and kind of some karmic universal thing that said, okay, this should all be now. Yes. Yes. So let's switch a little bit, because I think uh, this is kind of a, you know, we're not a show about the Hollywood and the industry. So I thought it might be helpful for people to explain or for people to hear you explain what an executive producer does, particularly a non-writing executive producer. And then I thought it was kind of interesting because I would say the role is similar, but there are differences between the two types of shows. So could could you give us like a quick primer on, you know, really your executive producing role and how it differs between both shows?
2: The job of a non-writing producer typically, uh, and this is really goes for the scripted show, is our job is to really, for me in particular, was to package the right elements to sell the show. And what I mean by packaging the right elements was once I had the thought of figuring out how to do the show, you have then think about the writer and who to go to and and kind of help see the vision that you have. But of course, you know, the writer really is the person who's going to help lay out for you kind of like what the story, the characters, the world and what you're seeing. So that was essential. And as you know, Daniel, um, when I met him, he I felt he was he totally understood and was so passionate about writing a show about Julia. And that completely worked out because he's brilliant. And then he brought on, he brought on, you know, another incredible showrunner who really had so much experience. And also what really worked for us was they both had history with, with Julia Child and they both loved her and they both love food. So that really helped. So, so that's the most important element in putting the show. Once we, you know, got them together, they really helped to figure out the pitch and then to go sell the show to the network because you have to pitch. So on the scripted series, once we kind of figured out how to do that, pitch the show and then sell it to the network, then the role of the non-writing executive producer is also to help with casting, to help to find the right pilot directors and then episodic directors to work on the show. And then also to kind of you know help if needed to, to hire the writers, to really to assemble the best creative team to make this incredible series. And then of course, you know, production, everything else, we hire people to do that. But our job is really to kind of help to bring together the best uh, team to make the show. So that that's kind of what our job is as the non-writing producer because we are really not writing, but we are involved in helping, you know, just when they talk about storylines and characters, we are there to kind of give notes and to be involved with the networks as well. So that's on the Julia scripted show. On the food competition show, it's similar. It You know, the, the way that I approached it was I had this idea of how to do the show. But then, of course, I don't you have to fully understand how do you format a show like this? Like, you know, it's simple to say, I want to do a show about how, you know, home cooks coming to compete to, you know, Julia's meals and and, and, and her dishes. But then how do you put that together? So it's the same process. I had to go find the creator, the showrunner, as we say, to kind of help me format the show. And of course, got very lucky and met Blake, who is, again, just so good at what he does. And he really helped to, he again, saw the vision of what the show could look like. And then with his skills and his experience, understanding how to produce cooking shows and competition cooking shows, he then helped to figure out the format and then, again, we talked to the network and said, here's how we see the show. And then they really liked our approach to the show and then bought the concept. And then after that, what you have to do with non-scripted shows is that you also have to bring together a production company to help produce the show. And, and I was very lucky because... Of course, I represent the production company that currently works on the Julia Food Competition show, Purveyors of Pop. And, you know, with Matt Anderson, Nate Green, and Cooper Green, I I went to them, kind of explained the show with Blake and figured out, like, how can you be involved in helping us produce this show? And luckily, it all worked. And that's how it all came together.
1: Yeah. And so just to put a finer line on it, when Kimberly refers to a showrunner, a showrunner is another executive producer, but typically a showrunner has vast experience actually making the shows happen. And they come at it from they're typically creative people and writers, but they have a lot of experience working with the physical production side to make it happen. And ultimately, it kind of the execution of the show sits on their shoulders and um, in in both cases, we were very fortunate, but also partly to Kimberly's keen eye of it's all in who you select um, that you you're rolling the dice that they will that pull it off. And we 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 I think made good choices and took and ended up with terrific people. But there's still a certain amount of luck and sort of lightning needs to strike for things to turn out as well as they did. Because even though those people are essential, every television set has, you know, it's a team of at least 100 people. And all of those 100 people, I always say, have to get along. So it's like the same number of variables of cooking, right? For a dish to turn out well, right? Everything has to work well together on the day.
2: Yes. Yes. That's right, and really, you know, our showrunner Daniel is our creator and the writer of the show. But Chris Kaiser, I, I con- I consider these guys the showrunners, um, almost like as wedding planners. They have to really, <laughs> do if they, you really do think they, about do what they, they have
1: do they, to they do. embrace that idea? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go with the analogy. I'll ask to Chris about it Go with the analogy of the
2: wedding planner. Uh, <laughs> Because I really feel like they have to understand, they have to understand how to please the network. They have to understand how to please the, the talent. Um, they, they have to really manage production. And so they have to understand, and, you know, and the budget, everything that's involved with the show. And so when I think of the analogy of a wedding planner, I, I do think that's, if you think, you know, just layman's term of what a showrunner is, that's what really he or she needs to do to kind of keep the train moving on. The show. And that really also is applicable to the non scripted um, world where you have, you know, Blake, he was our showrunner. He really, you know, was instrumental and so and responsible for making sure everything worked in a way that the network, because, you know, it, it takes so much to get a show produced on time on budget, and that everyone, you know, is on the same page creatively, and it's just a lot of work. So it's so essential to have the right, like you said, you know, Todd, the right showrunner to kind of keep it all going.
1: Yeah, and the irony is also we say unscripted, but of course, Blake did write scripts for reality shows do have a script. It's a different kind of script, because people don't have lines and dialogues, but they are actually structured. There's someone who's deciding and as you say, when you refer to format, it's the the kind of way the show works, how the different challenges are, how they're organized. That's all you know. It's not random. Someone's pre decided, and it's been approved by the network, and it's going to work in a certain way. And that all has to be, you know, mapped out how it's going to go and how they're going to do it thematically. Which, which Blake did um, with his team amazingly well. Yes. I was going to say, I wanted you to have the opportunity. I feel like the scripted series, because it's fictionalized and because it's full of stars like Sarah Lancashire and David Hyde Pierce and B.B. Newworth, and who did wonderful jobs, not surprisingly. And it's also, as you said, Chris Kaiser and Daniel Goldfarb and their writing team did an amazing job of even, you could see it on the page on the scripts. It was there. Yes. And that's fortunately really captured the public's imagination but I, I almost worry sometimes that the Julia Child Challenge, which is also brilliantly done, be over a So for our audience who might have seen the scripted show, but either normally doesn't watch cooking competitions or just what what, what are I, I thought I'd give you the chance to say, what are you missing by not seeing the Julia Child Challenge? And what do you think people would would find there, particularly if they've already seen the scripted series?
2: I think there, there's a difference because it's, uh, the HBO scripted series is fictionalized. So if you're looking, it's not a biopic. You know, we really wanted to tell the story of not just Julia, but all the other characters that populated her world, you know, from her editor to her producers to her husband. And so then you kind of branch into their stories and then it's, it's different. Now on the, on the reality food show it's all about Julia but what we wanted to do there was really to kind of bring you back right if you think about the archival footage of Julia on screen it will really give the audience and the contestant who may or may have not watched her really will show you know will will show what she was like back then and really she's there as this this presence to kind of help guide the, the you know. The contestants as they're cooking. And I think for people like my mom, those viewers, it's a dose of nostalgia. That's different because when I watch her, that's really, I, I, it's so nostalgic for me. I think of my mom immediately. So for the, for the people who are lucky enough to actually have watched her during that time pe- period, I think that will bring a sense of comfort and joy to see her again on screen, And how different she is versus kind of what you're seeing on the HBO series, which is, again, fictionalized stories. So I was hoping that with this show, it was a little bit different because the Julia Child you see is the real Julia Child. And really, this is kind of where her, you know, when she's in the kitchen is where she's, she's the most um I would say impactful and and when she's teaching and you' and you're cooking that that's what I really wanted to, you know show, uh, especially for a cooking competition that you know the whole theme was anyone could cook. you just have to really believe in in like your passion for your food and you kind of go from there. So it is a little bit different, but it, again, I wanted to make sure that everyone knew, how incredible this woman was when you see the real footage. And then if you were lucky enough or you, you know, wanted to watch the scripted show, then you can kind of have some reference as, Oh my gosh, like she was a, you know, she was this bigger woman. She had the most incredible voice. She was funny. And then you could hopefully see how Sarah Lancashire is going to play her and embody her spirit in the scripted show. I don't know if that
1: answers your question, but yeah, no, I think that's a great, great explanation. I, I think the thing I would add to it that that you you didn't cover was also how from the foundation's perspective, we loved that the the cooking competition show showcased how Julia still translated. You know, most of the cast was under 40, if not yep. younger. And yet they were really representative of kind of a new, newer or current generation and how Julia was still valuable to them and motivating to them. And of course, we love that the original concept was that it was home cooks and not professional chefs, but who had the same passion. And I think they all wowed us with their skills of how creative yes. and talented they were.
2: And and you're right. Like I, I think, you know, Julia was decades ahead of her time. And she, to me, she's just as relevant and influential today to a younger generation of aspiring home cooks and chefs. And even if you think about it, TikTok influencers. I mean, you know, that, that to me, and, and to kind of, you know, for people who didn't grow up with her, of course, there's this whole younger generation is to see her on screen and see what she was like. I think hopefully it will give them a sense of like, wow, like this is a woman who, you know, kind of started it all. And I think that to me was really interesting to be able to kind of bring her to the present day.
1: Yeah, well, so that's... To all these sort- younger, yeah. No, definitely. I think that that comes through really, really well and really strongly, I think maybe e- even to Food Network's surprise. Um, yes. All right, after the break, we'll be back with more from producer Kimberly Carver about the ins and outs of putting Julia's story back on TV. Stay with
0: us. Hi, listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you.
1: Welcome back. We're talking to producer and literary manager Kimberly Carver about her guiding hand behind the HBO Max scripted series Julia and Food Network's The Julia Child Challenge. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but maybe to put a finer point on it, I kind of wanted to hear from you more about how you feel about how the show's turned out. And particularly now that there's public reaction, do you, is it kind of gone in the direction you hoped and expected? Or were there things that surprised you that you, you hadn't expected? Like now that they've they're out, like how are you feeling?
2: Um, I'm ecstatic about just the reviews, the feedback. It's been tremendous. You know, what I was hoping uh, the show was to really bring a sense of comfort and nostalgia and a really feel good, you know, when you watch the show. And I've read a lot of reviews. I've read just like how the, you know, the audience Have really just loved the show, but I think more importantly, it's my own friends and family when they watch the show and what they have said to me. Yesterday, um, a friend of mine sent me a text and he just finished like episode five on the HBO series. And he said, it's it's like comfort food when you watch her. And he said, it's just nothing's happening, but you just want to keep watching. And that was, you know, and and I'm getting so much feedback from so many people saying the same thing and the joy and the comfort that brings them uh watching this show is so rewarding and and obviously with both shows it's the same thing and when we're getting you know and when the show is getting written up um it, it's even better because the critics and and you know not just the the reviewers uh but also the audience like the way that they describe the show is beyond just like what what could I imagine so I I'm so happy
1: Well, I I share your sentiments. But yeah, nothing's more gratified when you hear independently reflected back what you hoped for and intended is what people are taking away. And then I think the timing, too, has just been amazing in that, you know, we always say the foundation, the power of Julia or the magic of Julia, and that there's just something about the show's joyfulness is so needed at this moment in time. Yes.
2: Yes. And, she, and she's, you know, she's, she, it's not just, it's, she's inspiring. And I think, you know, and it, it really is interesting because she's also really funny. And that, and that is something that Sarah's done so well, kind of showing us that um, in the show. But then when you watch the food competition show, you see it in the clips, how funny she is. So, so that is um, to me, That's what we, you know, I think we all feel like there's there's something about Julia when we watch her that just makes us feel good about ourselves. I don't know what it is, but I do when I watch her.
1: And do you think that was going back to my first question at the top of the show, that that was kind of what's behind your desire to pursue this is is just that factor?
2: Uh, That factor. And then the biggest factor is my mom. Uh, My mother came to this country. She, When we came from Vietnam, my mother, you know, we spoke French uh, and Vietnamese. We did not speak English. But for my mother to see a woman, an American woman, cooking French food was so relatable to her. And to see her watch Julia Child. And then, of course, she loved Julia and Jacques Pepin together. That sense of, of for me, when I watched my mom and how happy she was watching their show, writing down the things that she wanted to cook because of you know kind of like them teaching her, that that moment was really what inspired me to want to do this show. both shows was because of just the joy of seeing my mom and and kind of what she got out of the cooking show and how she really enjoyed watching them was really what motivated me to want
1: to do this show oh that's so <laughs> julia would have loved hearing
2: that my mom has a picture of them uh, in her kitchen
1: well and and she, yeah julia actually what the immediate thought i had is julia would have liked to have met your mother so they could have had that conversation that, that my mother would favorable. have
2: been very scared but it would have been unbelievable oh yes. but
1: Julia's one of those people who oh, would just put you at ease the second you would you just forget all about that it was an incredible you know gift that certain people like that have so I wanted to go back to also something we talked about with the quantity of Julia. And, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show that it was a happy accident that both shows ended up airing in tandem and their networks are merging. And it's also a coincidence that they ended up being released in close proximity to the Imagine and CNN films documentary, Julia. So do you think from your chair, are we now at maximum Julia or do you think there's still room for plenty more?
2: I don't know. I, I, I If I could do a Julia Child NFT, I guess that's the next <laughs> thing I'm going to approach you guys on. <laughs> I think mean, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Uh, no, it was just, you know, it's coincidental. But at the same time, uh, I, I think the pandemic really helped because, you know... Uh, I remember, I don't, I don't remember who said it, Daniel or Blake, it's just like people are at home cooking. And so it it just kind of made sense to kind of bring her out again. And, and, and if I could, yes, if I can figure out a different way to uh, create a Julia child moment, uh, whatever that is that I could sell as to another platform, I would, but I, is there enough? I think that there's I think Julia is so inspirational that I think hopefully her show, her story will inspire inspire others and other producers, other writers to write about, you know, maybe potentially other chefs, other personalities, other cooks, you know, and and I I would love to watch another show about an interesting chef or personality or cook that really changed um the world, the culture, everything around us. So, yes, I, I don't know if there's another Julia Child, but being Asian, I would love to see the story of Joy, uh, Joyce Chen.
1: Yeah, no, actually, that's a great segue into my follow-up question, which you've answered in part, but but just I'm going to throw it out there because I think it's come up. And, you know, the shows, both shows have mostly been, uh, you know, very critically and publicly praised and well-received, but some of the limited criticism has been about, you know, the need to tell those stories of other unsung people, particularly people of color, more than, oh, are we plumbing the deaths of this rich white woman who everybody knows about again? And, you know, I think particularly you've talked about your, your own personal story and background. And as a person of color, like, is that your reaction? What you just said is like, or or do you disagree with that? Or what do you think about that that criticism that's been leveled?
2: Well, I I do think that I agree that, you know, really, uh, as a woman of color, I do believe we need to see more stories. I think that stories that are relatable to our culture, stories that are relatable to kind of, you know, kind of how how food, food is is really, you know, universally, kind of something that brings us together um, as family. It's just, Everything centers around food, and so I would like to see more stories. If I could, that would be potentially something next for me to to think about because I do love, kind of like how, you know, the world of food, and and really it populates our lives now. So what are those stories? Who are these people that we don't know? So maybe that is my next thing. I, I believe Joyce Chen. I've I've asked our writers um, and our you know and and Chris and Daniel to really think about. Um, writing her story and others that Julia was, you know, she, she was, she really kind of helped Joyce Chen to kind of help create her show, you know, on PBS. And I feel like we need to hear more of those stories. It doesn't have to always center around Julia, but it would be great if we can figure that out. If we can have multiple seasons on Julia to kind of not just talk about the personalities, you know, food personalities, but other people um, that, that could, work as you know as part of the storyline so what we're doing so yes i i do want and i believe we do need to see more stories
1: well and i take away from what you just said that in some ways the the success of the show about julia about a, a dramedy about food which has been in the past difficult to make successful on television that once it is successful it 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 reorients people's openness and idea that a show about Joyce Chen or other people like her it could really work and be viable and capture an audience's interest. So in some ways it it's, it's hopefully a door opener and a conversation starter rather than, yes, a, yeah. So that that's our hope too. Yes. All right. We're going to take another quick break and we'll be back to hear Kimberly's Julia moment. She's going to have to figure out how she's going to top that moving story about her mother. And, um, mm-hmm. Uh, she'll think about that while I'm letting you know that the 2022 Taste of Santa Barbara from the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience is this weekend all around Santa Barbara County. For tickets, go to sbce.events and click on Taste of Santa Barbara. Don't miss our signature events featuring the directors of the Julia documentary, a deep dive conversation with food tanks Danielle Nirenberg and Congressman Salud Carbajal about solutions to fixing our global food system And you'll have the opportunity to taste wine from all across the region in one place at El Presidio. And Jaini, the winner of the Julia Child Challenge, will be there too. For the latest event updates, follow at SB Culinary Experience on Instagram. Let us know what you think of today's show. Send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf. We'll be right back.
0: When you flip anything, you really... You just have to have the courage
1: of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the
0: kitchen, who is going to see?
1: From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career, okay, Kimberly. For the record, what's your Julia moment?
2: My Julia moment is anything her, or is really her love, her love for butter. And I am, uh, I am more of a baker than I am a cook. And when I use butter, I always think of her. Uh, I actually cooked waffles for my son, and it was two sticks of butter. And I just added a little bit more because Julia, I would say, doesn't hurt to add more butter. So for me, any moment besides, you know, my mother and my story with kind of how she was so inspired by her, for me on a personal level, my Julia moment is anything having to do with butter reminds me of Julia Child. And then really just when I think about the other side of like Julia and how she was so she was this lifelong learner, right? That's what she wanted. Not only was she teaching people how to cook, but she herself knew she was never a chef. She didn't know more than, she obviously wanted to know more about cooking and food and ingredients. And and I think that is a moment that I also think of myself as someone who is in the business, you know, producing and being a manager is always wanting to discover and learn. And I think that that is a moment of Julia's that I will always kind of take and instill in my own life, in my career life, and also just learning about everything that is out there that I, I, I just, you know, I, it, it, to me, that's what she meant. um, You know, and I think that's what she was trying to do. And I want to take that. If that is a moment, a Julia child moment that I would want to take for myself.
1: Those are great. So, butter and lifelong learning, two tenets of of yeah, <laughs> exactly. no, absolutely. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think those are great. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about uh Julia as your inspiration for these pretty significant television shows. Thanks, Kimberly.
2: Of course, thank you for having me.
1: A pleasure. Thanks everyone for joining us. You can stream season one of HBO Max's Julia, starring Sarah Lancashire, David Hyde Pierce, and B.B. Newworth, on HBO Max, and all six episodes of the Julia Child Challenge on Discovery+. Plus. You may have also heard, which we didn't talk about, that Julia on HBO Max will be back for season two, so stay tuned for updates about when and where. And in the meantime, you can make sure you've watched season one or watch it a second time.
2: Yes, for please. all the latest.
1: from. The- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it's definitely I think something that uh, just it's like fine wine. It improves every time you watch it. Yes, uh, you pick up all the different nuances. If you have got the storyline, then you can watch it for um, all the great food in it. If you miss that the first time, it's quite mouthwatering and a lot of care and attention, which we'll cover in a future episode with the food stylist Christine Tobin. For all the latest from the foundation, it's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer at the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Matt Patterson. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Veltorni. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.